This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov, the funeral will be held today for the lone soldier who was killed in the terror attack last week on Thursday. Sergeant Maxim Mulchanov was a lone soldier from Ukraine. His parents have been brought from Kharkiv to attend the funeral, and um, calls have gone out to the people of Israel to join in the funeral at the Tel Aviv Military Cemetery later today. There have been quite a number of calls that have been made for people to come and attend. One post that was made really struck me more than any of the others. It was made by um, a retired military colonel, Kobi Marom, who shared a message with what he describes as his comrades in arms and superiors. Mm. And he wrote, tomorrow we will say our goodbyes to IDF soldier Maxim Mulchanov. The journey of his life stands as an inspiration and a beacon for all of us, exemplifying selflessness, volunteering, and social unity, and highlighting the IDF's role as our collective shield. It's a spirit that's notably missing in these times. I urge you all to join in paying respects to Maxim on his final journey. And and to salute salute his life and his journey, I will be there. That was written by Colonel Kobi Marom, a retired colonel. And let's not forget that the last time a call like this went out was in 2014 when lone soldier Max Steinberg was buried in Jerusalem. On that occasion, 30,000 people attended his funeral. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it just shows, look, it's the very worst and the very best of, uh, of Israeli society, of life in Israel, I guess, of the whole picture. True. Very true. Very, very true yeah. indeed. Um, obviously a very, very, um, emotional time for his parents who been brought from the war in Ukraine to bury their son here in Israel. Um, and um, so I think that the call for Israel to join them at this moment is a very pertinent one indeed. Wow, absolutely incredible. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, kind of turnout there is. There was an attempt at a terror attack in Jerusalem last night that was thwarted. Tell us about this. Yeah, so this was an attack um, once again in Jerusalem's old city, um, one that we've unfortunately been accustomed to to seeing from time to time, not this particular one, but obviously a similar similar type of attack that we have been accustomed to seeing. On this occasion, um, it was a woman um, quite near to the entrance that goes to the Temple Mount, an Arab woman, who um, approached an Israeli border police team, and 
she um, approached one of the policemen with a knife. She began to stab him in his waist area, and he immediately understood what was happening, and he somehow managed to take control of the situation. He pushed her away. He used his hands and his feet. He managed to neutralize her. Um, by neutralizing her meant not on this occasion shooting her because he said that he decided not to use his weapon because there were other people in the general vicinity and he didn't want to endanger any of the other bystanders who were there while he was being personally attacked. Um, in the event, he managed to push her away and in so doing, the knife fell from her hand. She was eventually then uh, pushed to the floor. Some of the other members of the team were there to assist him, and uh, she was finally arrested. The thing that really saved him was the fact that he was wearing a vest, um, one of these protective mm, vests mm, mm. that the Israeli border police, um, particularly those who are, uh, um, who are uh, on patrol in Jerusalem's old city, are required to wear. Those people who've been in the old city and seen the border police um, patrolling will notice that they are fully equipped, fully armed. They wear um, protective vests. They have uh, weapons at the ready. They're um, always ready at every moment in time. And it seems quite strange because usually it's like a very civilian environment. It's kind of people bustling backwards and forwards through the market, backwards on the streets and going about daily business. You wouldn't expect to see a policeman with their finger on the trigger walking around the street like that, you wouldn't think it would be necessary. Mm. And yet attacks like this make it clear that those border policemen who patrol um, Jerusalem and in particular the old city of Jerusalem need to be ready at every moment in time because um, attacks like this can happen. Um, we understand that this is one of those lone wolf attacks, one of those which is not necessarily being sponsored by one of the terror organizations, not somebody who's particularly been primed and sent to carry out an attack, but something that's been done of her own accord. And she was arrested, and uh, I guess uh, that the legal system will deal with her. A woman in her 40s, we understand, from Janine, came all the way from Janine, to Jerusalem in order to carry out this attack. In order to um, kill and somebody. Of course, I mean, it, it's, well, it's, it's yeah, just an I mean, amazing thing. She's come all the way from Janine to Jerusalem to kill a Jew. Um, right. Um, I think you could uh, easily interpret it like that. And of course, as we head into the high holiday season now, where it will be very, very busy in the old city of Jerusalem, a lot of people will make their way to the Kotel, not only over Rosh Hashanah, but also on Yom Kippur, and of course during the, the the week of Sukkot, which will be a very very busy time indeed. A lot of people like to do what's known as the Aliyah Regal. They like to go up to the Temple Mount, to the old city of Jerusalem, to the Kotel, in order to uh, celebrate, in order to reenact uh, certain practices that were carried out in the days of the Temple, the Aliyah Regal, um, to go to the Temple that was. Um, during the period of, of, uh, of the Chag of Sukkot. And so a lot of people will be doing that, not only Israelis, but indeed Jews who come from elsewhere around the world in order to celebrate in Israel. So um, our border police are very much ready to cope with whatever comes their way under the circumstances. And, of course, a lot of work is going in right now to make sure that people are as protected and as safe as possible during that time and that we're able to mm, celebrate mm. our Hakim, to celebrate our holidays and our festivals in the way that we wish to go about our daily business without harming anybody just in order to celebrate, in order to mark uh, the occasion and hopefully to carry that out 
all in the safety um, that we would want to to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And uh, Israel has officially opened its first embassy in Bahrain. I find this such a, a, a wonderful story. It is a wonderful story and also has sort of elements of interest to it because, of course, Bahrain joined the Abraham Accords three years ago in 2020. And it's taken all of this time to finally formally open an embassy in Manama, which is the capital of Bahrain. Um, and it was um, Israel's foreign minister, Eli Cohen, who was in Bahrain yesterday and um, being hosted by the Bahraini foreign minister, Abdul Latif bin Rashid, Rashid Al-Zaini. He, was, um, he is the Bahraini foreign minister and he was in attendance at that ceremony to open the Israeli, the formal uh, opening of the Israeli embassy in Bahrain, the very, very first time that Israel has had an embassy in Bahrain. And while Eli Cohen um, was already in Bahrain, he also had the opportunity to meet with Crown Prince Salman bin Hamid al-Khalifa. He is uh, considered to be second uh, to the king, the Crown Prince. And um, the, the, the opportunity was used both by the Crown Prince and by the foreign minister, the Bahraini foreign minister, to talk about a Palestinian state and the two-state solution and to try to put forward once again their view on the matter, which is that um, Israel should withdraw to the pre-1967 lines, the lines that were drawn before the Six-Day War. Um, for those people who are not familiar with what that means, it also means potentially dividing Jerusalem because pre-1967, mm, yeah. Israel didn't have full control over the entire city of Jerusalem. And we also will recall that the Temple Mount and the Kotel and certain holy sites in Jerusalem did not fall within Israeli hands at that time. So the call to return back to the pre-1967 borders is not only about the um, area uh, of Judea and Samaria um, where Israel currently has control. And it's not only about um, other uh, parts of Israel um, where, um, where, which were in um, Arab hands pre-1967, but most controversially, it involves Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem itself. And so, um, for now at least, the prospect of going back to the pre-1967 lines is not a very high prospect. It doesn't look likely anytime soon. Um, but we do know that countries like Bahrain, for example, like to call upon Israel to return, to withdraw back to the pre-1967 lines and to set up two states, one, the Palestinian state, and of course, to have the, the Israeli state alongside that. Let's not forget, and I've said this a few times and I'll say it again, that this was exactly what was on offer in 1947 at the United Nations during Palestinian, Palestine partition plan discussion, which was at that stage rejected by the Arab side. Now, all of a sudden, it's become quite an attractive uh, proposition, but I can't see Israel agreeing to give up areas of Jerusalem. So it's simply just a call, um, which I think the Bahrainis feel they need to make in public in order to mm, support mm. somehow the Palestinian position. And it's interesting that Bahrain also forms part of the so-called Negev Forum, the six countries that have um, come to uh, form this so-called NEGA forum. Um, it includes representatives from the USA and Israel, but also Egypt, Morocco, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. And the meeting, there has been a meeting that was held uh, in Stebokir, but that forum hasn't convened since then because of 
um, various uh, controversies. It was supposed to have convened in Morocco in March, but that meeting never took place. But formally, um, Bahrain also forms part of the Negev Forum. And um, the Foreign Minister Eli Cohen had a delegation of 30 Israeli businessmen who traveled with him to Manama yesterday mm. and who are discussing business opportunities in Bahrain. And there is also the possibility of a free trade agreement being entered into between Bahrain and Israel, which, of course, will also encourage further trade, as has been the case, for example, with the United Arab Emirates. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, very, very interesting. And finally, Prime Minister Netanyahu is in Cyprus, and that's for trilateral meetings with Greece and Cyprus. Yeah, I, I think this is a really important point because um, Israel's relationship with Greece and Cyprus has increasingly become closer. Mm. And I think that a lot of that is really about the natural gas that's being discovered in cooperation on the natural gas, particularly with Cyprus, who also have natural gas fields that they are um, managing to um, to take advantage of. And there has been quite a lot of talk about um, some joint infrastructure which will allow some sort of a link from the Arab world through this Middle Eastern area involving Greece, Israel and Cyprus, and then potentially linking with Europe and not only on the natural gas side, but there's also been talk, the Prime Minister mentioned, the possibility of telecommunication fiber optic networks that may link uh, Greece, Israel and Cyprus to the Arab world and, of course, onward to Europe. This is already not a new concept because Israel has um, this area, not Israel in particular, but this area has been one of those uh, transition points for fiber optic networks. And, in fact, Egypt has been one of the great beneficiaries of its key position and particularly ruling over the Suez Canal um, in terms of transporting telecommunications mm -hmm. traffic from Europe towards the Far East, not only towards the Arab world, but indeed onward towards the Far East using fiber optic networks. There have been fiber optic cables that have traveled through the Suez Canal, undersea cables, and also overland cables through Egypt being a critical crossing point as it is. Um, but there were previously some discussions about the possibility of creating an alternative to Egypt and allowing some sort of fiber optic network to come through Israel and then onward down through potentially Jordan and down through the Red Sea, onward towards the Arab world, to the Arab, the Gulf of Arabia, and of course onward to, to the Far East as well. But these at least are discussions that are currently being held between Greece, Israel and Cyprus um, in this trilateral forum. And I think the, the, the more these meetings take place and the more there's this um, joint uh, exploitation of natural gas within the Mediterranean, the closer Greece, Israel and Cyprus become. And, and there have been constant meetings. Here's one of the most interesting um, proposals that I've seen so far. And the proposal is to have a regional firefighting center in Cyprus, which Amazing. will allow certain um, equipment to be held in Cyprus and to be used for firefighting purposes in Israel, in Greece and in Cyprus to share the resources, to make available as many resources as are needed. And we've seen that increasingly more important with mad fires that have broken out most recently in Greece, a few of the Greek islands and indeed even on the Greek mainland this summer. There have been some very, very serious fires indeed. And generally speaking, um, Israel and Cyprus have been willing to help Greece and the other way around. When Israel's needed help, they've called upon help from 
those countries. So this concept of a regional firefighting center for me, I think, Amazing. is really quite interesting. Very, very. And it, it, what I love about it, it's a very different way of, of looking at fire management because very clearly when these major incidents break out, it just you just can't treat it the same as we might have done in the past. The world has changed. These incidents have become a lot more um, aggressive, intensive, and, uh, and have a, um, a greater regional impact. I think this is fascinating uh, that they're really looking at this at this management. I, th- I think it's really brilliant. It is 8 o'clock, Anthony Rath. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. But we'll catch you tomorrow morning for the Israel Report at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова 